0: My name is Riley. I'm the pastor of the church and welcome. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I have the privilege of preaching God's Word for us. We're back into our 1 Peter series that we left off at the middle of December and we're going to take this through to Easter. uh, And we have about, I don't know, five or six, seven messages left in 1 Peter. And we've had a great time studying this letter. Peter has been our pastor um, over these months and so we get to you get an upgrade today. Uh, you get Peter as your pastor again, so that'll be good, as he, we look, look at his pastoral counsel for his churches. And as we come into this section, from verse 12 to the end is really the final lap. You'll notice at the end of verse 11, it kind of signs off with a benediction and a glory and an amen. And then he starts going again uh, with a finally. And this is his final words to the churches scattered across Asia Minor, Turkey and places like that who are small and insignificant and suffering for the sake of Christ and these are his final words 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19 that's 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 to 19 beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Our God and Father, may you bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. For Jesus' glory we pray. Amen. One of the transitions I love the most in the New Testament is Paul's transition, his conversion from a God-hater to a missionary. But another transition I love in the New Testament is Peter's transition from a fearful denier of Christ to a fervent proclaimer of Jesus. See, on the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, Peter denied him three times. When faced with the servant girl, Peter said, I know him not and invoked a curse upon himself. So afraid was Peter of being identified with Jesus because of whatever that would have meant for him. Bold-faced, repeatedly, he said, I do not know him. He repudiated Christ, disassociated himself from him. And yet, by the time we get 40 days later, we have a completely different Peter. Peter was once a denier motivated by fear but after Pentecost, Peter is bold, marked by fervor for the Lord Jesus Christ. From Acts chapter 3 to Acts chapter 5 are one of my favourite stories in the New Testament because you see Peter healing a man, preaching the gospel, thousands are saved. Then the officials arrest him, they beat him, they eventually let him go. Then he goes out, what does he do after being beaten? He goes and preaches again. Then they arrest him. They keep him overnight. An angel gets them out of prison. And what do they do? They go back into the temple courts and preach again. When they go to open the prison doors, to pull Peter out, to put him on trial, he's not there. (laughs) And they're saying, where'd he go? I mean, the doors are locked. And then someone says, look, he's out there in the temple preaching again. And they go and hear him and they arrest him. And they say, you can't do this anymore. And he says... We must not obey man. We must obey God. And they beat him. And they hate on him. And yet Acts chapter 5 verse 41 says this. After they were released because the, the religious leaders were too scared to put him to death. Then they left the presence of the council. That's Peter and John. Look at this word. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. For the name. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That is the name of Jesus Christ. The name that caused Peter to deny 40 days previously is now the name that he's beating his chest, not in boasting, but in joy that I can't believe I get to suffer for him. I can't believe I get to own this name and I get to be beaten. I get to be oppressed for the sake of Christ. What changed? What a difference 40 days can make. But what changed Peter? How? How is this possible? I think there's one thing. And it stands at the center of all Peter's writing in 1 Peter. And the thing that changed Peter is that he was a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. What changed Peter from a fearful denier to a bold declarer of Jesus was that he saw Christ suffer and die. The fundamental thing that changes Peter is that he witnessed the sufferings of Christ and that changed his entire outlook. He saw Christ being beaten and mocked and tortured and shamed for him. He saw Christ potentially being crucified, nailed to a cross for him. He saw him being put into a grave for him. And so 40 days later, after Pentecost, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter is radically different. The cross marked Peter so much that if you've been paying attention in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, there's five times in this letter where he comes back to the cross in order to give us example and encouragement to suffer. Chapter 2, 22-25, what we read in communion, that we are to suffer, why? To follow in Christ's example. Chapter 3, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. That's his motivation for why we should suffer for doing good. Chapter 4, verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Chapter 4, verse 13, rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. And chapter 5, verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ, the death of Christ in his place and for his sins changed and transformed Peter. To know a suffering Christ, to love a suffering Christ, to behold a suffering Christ, to keep the sufferings of Christ in the centre of his life is what enabled Peter to rejoice that he would suffer for Christ and with Christ. And it's the exact same thing for you and I today. The only way we can go from cowardly, anxious, fearful, timid, ashamed followers of Jesus is if we place the cross, and not, and not just the word the cross, but the sufferings of Jesus in our place, in the center of our hearts, and in the center of our minds, so that it changes the way we look at everything. And this passage, this final discourse that Peter has for us, is here to not only prepare us to suffer, but to prepare us to suffer joyfully for the sake of Jesus Christ. This passage is here for you and I who do not want to suffer, who are addicted to comfort, who lust after rest and re- re- uh, relaxation, to prepare us to suffer joyfully for Jesus. And the only way we can do that is if we keep the sufferings of Christ central in our hearts and our minds. So how do we handle suffering joyfully for Jesus? Well, I think Peter has three things a battle plan, a plan of attack in order to help us. Firstly, we need to expect to suffer for Jesus. Secondly, we need to rejoice and commit to rejoicing as you suffer for Jesus. And third, entrust yourself to God so that you will suffer for Jesus. The title of my message this morning is, unshockingly, prepare to suffer joyfully for Jesus. It's not an easy message but is a message we desperately need. I need. You need. This is hard, but a privilege. And I hope that by the end, you would count it as such. So let's look at point number one. How do we suffer joyfully for Jesus? Number one, we must expect to suffer for Jesus. Read verse 12 again. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised. Do not think it's something strange or unexpected when not just trials, but fiery trials are placed upon you. Now, Peter is not being a army drill sergeant here. He's not saying, suck it up, sunshine, you're going to suffer you notice in verse, the verse word there, he says, beloved. He loves his people. By extension, through the Holy Spirit, he was loving us. Beloved. And as your pastor, I say, beloved. You must expect, if you will faithfully follow Jesus and stand up and speak out for him in your real, actual life, that you will suffer for him. Do not be surprised. Do not think it's your faulty Christianity. Do not think it's your faulty method that you're suffering for Jesus. Maybe some of us are so ridiculous in the way that we do it, maybe it's our method. But for most of us, 99% of us, the reason we will suffer for Jesus is not because we did it wrong, but because we did it right. That's what Peter's trying to say. He's got these Christians and he's, he loves them. He knows them. Remember, Peter was there when Jesus taught the parables and he you remember the parable of the four seeds and Jesus said there was once a farmer he went out and he sowed seed and some went on a path and some went in a thorny field and some went into the you know another part of the field with were weeds and, and some produced lots of fruit and the disciples said what does this mean and Jesus said the seed that was sown on the rocky ground sprung up and died so quickly why because of persecution persecution kills Christians, persecution kills would-be followers of Jesus. When the heat comes, it will be a test as to whether or not you truly love and follow Christ. And so Peter knows that, he failed that and was restored by Jesus. And there is restoration possible if you failed the test of persecution. You can repent and experience grace. But Peter knows, and so he wants to prepare his readers persecution will come. Don't let it kill your faith. Don't let it so knock you around that you just think, I'm, I'm getting out of here. This is not what I signed up for. He knows what we're like, like himself, pleasure-seeking creatures. And so he aims to lessen the bump some. The other day, I was pushing my little daughter, Zoe, who's not yet two, and we have this little thing on the back of our pram. It's, I don't know, it's a buggy sort of thing where they can stand and hold on to the pram and as I was pushing her um, every time we went over a bump before I went over the bump I would say Zoe we're about to go into a bump hold still or hold tight so that when we went over the bump she wouldn't just be oh and fall off Peter's holding our hands It's saying there's going to be bumps prepare yourself and what exactly are these fiery trials that he mentions? Well, these are, I believe, specifically in this passage, though he's talked generally about suffering elsewhere, this passage is talking about suffering for Jesus. Verse 13, as you share Christ's sufferings. Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ. Verse 16, yet anyone suffers as a Christian. He's not talking about the general slings and arrows of misfortune in this life and the the ups and the downs. He's talking about suffering tied to your calling as a Christian. Everything from insults to incarcerations, from bullyings to beatings, from being made fun of to martyrdom. If it's Christ's sufferings that we are participating and sharing in, then it's not going to be pretty, potentially. We know what Christ went through, did we not? So if we share in Christ's sufferings, then we ought to expect it's not going to be pretty. And Peter's telling you and I, not just Christians who live in so-called hard countries, but all Christians to expect to suffer for Christ. If you genuinely live for Jesus... If you stand out for Jesus, if you stand up for Jesus, if you speak the words of Jesus to your friends and family and neighbours and actually do it, and you avoid the sins of the world, you should expect to suffer. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you desire to live a godly life? Then you are welcoming persecution and suffering we've spent a long time as the church in the west trying to relate to the culture and be relevant with the culture and not jar ourselves with the culture but the reality is we are not in that season anymore if you want to be godly and you don't want to cave in or capitulate or give in to the sins of our age expect to be persecuted what's the purpose of these fiery trials why would god send them So often we need purpose in suffering, otherwise it can feel so helpless. Well, Peter tells us that these trials are here to test you, verse 12. Like cancer treatment, you send drugs into a body to kill that which is impure in the body, those cancerous cells. Fiery trials will be sent upon you to test you, to refine your faith. Peter's already told us this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's God's will that you should suffer for Jesus, so that your faith would be tested. So that your faith would be refined and you would come out purer in the end. Suffering for Jesus will strip you of self-reliance. Suffering for Jesus will strip you of self-exaltation. Suffering for Jesus will rid you of self-centeredness. And they will leave behind gold. That's what will be left. And so as you stand up and speak out for the sake of Jesus. You can do it in joy, knowing that the end result will be gold, a refined faith. So how do you handle suffering well and joyfully for Jesus? Firstly, you must expect it. If you don't expect to suffer for Jesus, boom, it will knock you about. We need a battle plan. We need something in our heads. We need this mind view. Okay, okay. If I do it, if I live out for Christ, I'm probably going to suffer. It's probably not going to go well. Now, it might go well. People at work in your life and your neighbors might say, Wow, I really respect your morals. I really think you're a great person. And this Christ you tell of, I would love to follow him. That would be wonderful. But it may not happen. So we need to prepare ourselves for it. Secondly, what do we do when we start to suffer for Jesus? When the rubber hits the road and it actually happens, when we're belittled by a friend or passed over for a promotion or kicked out of our home, what happens? Well, point two, rejoice as you suffer for Jesus. Peter's telling us how do we actually live through the suffering? Look at verse 13 to 16. Such shocking words, isn't it? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. That was a powerful powerful verses. Peter gives us two things to hold on to to help us to rejoice while suffering. Firstly, verse 13, future glory. How do you rejoice when suffering? You keep in your mind future glory. As you suffer for Jesus, it is proof that one day you will be exalted with Jesus. The suffering now, because you wear the jersey for Jesus, means that when he wins and the grand final celebration is done, you have proven yourself to be on his team. So every mark you bear in your body for the cause of Christ is another expectation that yes, one day when the battle is done and the game is over, I know I'm with him because I suffered with him now. That's why he says in verse 13 that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Suffering will prove your loyalty and love of Jesus Christ. To bear his sufferings will prove your loyalty and love for him. Sometimes our loyalty and love can be word only. Suffering will test those words. Just like you can say, I love my country. But when a war breaks out, would you sign up or wait to be conscripted? Many men have gone to battle dying for love of their country and so proved their loyalty and love for their flag and their freedom and their fellow citizens. Their willingness and actual suffering is proof of their love and loyalty. And so it is for you and I with Christ. Friends, would you count it an honor to suffer for Jesus? Just consider that. Would you, like this verse says, count it an honor to suffer for Christ? After all he's done to suffer for you, would it not be the highest of honors to be identified with him hurt for him and even be slain for him, the one who was slain for you? Perhaps you're bored in your Christian life. Perhaps church and Christianity has become boring to you. If that's the case, maybe it's because you've stopped standing up for Jesus. Maybe it's because you're so like the world, you no longer stand out. You're only in safety, never in danger. Perhaps by keeping it cool, playing it safe, being relevant, fitting in, you've tucked yourself into bed and inoculated yourself from danger. And that's for me too. Friends, Christ is calling us to represent him to love this world, to stand up and speak out for Him. And if you want adventure, start doing that. And I guarantee you, your Christianity will not be boring any longer. So he says, suffer with Christ and that will be proof of your future glory. That's one reason we can rejoice in our sufferings. The second reason, verse 14, you will experience the present presence of God. This is how we can rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 14, you will experience the present presence of God. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Suffering brings with it the suffering for Jesus brings with it the promised presence of God. God will come closer to you as you bear the marks of devotion to Christ. All the stories of persecuted and suffering saints bear witness to this, that Christ is never sweeter to them than on the cold floor of suffering. John Patton, as I was reading about this week, who is a missionary to Vanuatu, left the city mission of Scotland, boated down to Australia, then went to Vanuatu. He gave his life for the natives who were cannibals. As he arrived in Vanuatu, two weeks later, his wife and newborn child died and he had to bury them. He spent four years on one island, not a single convert, everyone hating him, constantly under threat of danger and death. He was multiple times hounded by hundreds of tribesmen looking for his blood in hatred of him. This is his testimony of what he experienced one night when hundreds were chasing him in the the jungle of Vanuatu and he climbed a tree to escape their death threats and they shot muskets and were firing at him. This is what he said. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did Jesus draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Saviour's spiritual presence, to enjoy His consoling fellowship. If thus thrown back upon your soul alone, all alone in the midnight in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? For John Patton, suffering brought to him the present presence of God like nothing else, such that he would long to be back in a tree with hounds of savages seeking his head. I've never experienced that. But that is a gift that awaits us if we will suffer for Jesus. The spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you in a new way and a fresh way that you haven't ever tasted before. And so he bids you on this adventure to eternal glory, to stand with Christ and to present presence of God in the midst of suffering. You'll say with Peter, or like the, the, the apostles, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In verse 15 and 16, he clarifies that he's not talking about suffering for sin. There's no present promise of joy in suffering for your sin. If you're committing Heinous crimes, or even just a meddler. There's no blessing there. He's not saying you can capture these promises just because of your suffering in life. No, these are promises reserved for those who suffer for Jesus. So if you suffer, verse sixteen, as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. When you walk down the street in your jersey, you know I have a Melbourne Storm jersey. Everyone hates Melbourne Storm but represent, beat Parramatta this week. Do not be ashamed, but represent Jesus, and you will experience these blessings. There's one more reason why we ought to consider suffering for Jesus as a good thing, not a bad thing. It's not in our text, but I think it's worth us understanding this. Suffering for Jesus is not just the fruit of living for Jesus suffering for Jesus is the means by which God advances his glory in the world Jesus's mission was accomplished through suffering and the mission of the church will similarly be accomplished through the suffering of the church not through our victory that's why the prosperity gospel is wrong and abhorrent and makes no sense because they've never read one Peter it doesn't make any sense The church goes forward through suffering, not through peace and victory. John Piper says, More and more I'm persuaded from Scripture and from the history of missions that God's design for the evangelization of the world includes, not excludes, includes the suffering of His ministers and missionaries. Suffering is a part of God's strategy for making known to the world who Christ is, how He loves, and how much He is worth. That's why Paul said in Colossians 1.24, "...now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church." So Paul can rejoice in his sufferings because in his sufferings, he's a picture of the suffering of Christ. They didn't get to watch Christ suffer. And so as he suffers for them and for the unbelievers, they see the suffering of Christ. It's a picture of the gospel and it advances the gospel. John Piper goes on to say, God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering he experienced so that when we proclaim the cross as the way to life, people will see the marks of the cross in us and feel the love of the cross from us. Our calling is to make the afflictions of Christ real for people by the afflictions we experience in bringing them the message of salvation. Suffering for Jesus takes Christianity out from an alternate worldview, a way of life, a philosophy. You don't die for your philosophies. You don't die for your, you know, things that are just convenient to you. No, no, no. Suffering represents the suffering of Christ and shows to people this is real. You really mean it. How could you love me so to go unto death for me? there must be the savior who loved me and went unto death for me as well and jesus finally he said blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you peter heard that teaching from the lips of christ he lived that teaching in his life and then he communicated that teaching to all of his followers and it stands for us today. Rejoice if you are counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Rejoice in your sufferings. That's how we deal with suffering for Jesus is we rejoice in them. But this sounds hard and dangerous and scary. Yes. Yes. So what do we do? Well, point number three, point one was expect to suffer for Jesus. Point two, rejoice in your suffering for Jesus. Point three, entrust yourself to God as you suffer for Jesus. Verse 17 to 19 teaches that this suffering does not come about by accident. It comes about by the very will of God. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter is simply saying that the sufferings we experience are not accidental, they come on purpose. God has sent them according to his very will, to his own very people, in order to refine us and test us judgment begins at the household of god not judgment that we wouldn't be saved but a a pruning a cleansing judgment god will move amongst us and in his mercy call our sins to mind through suffering so that we can forsake sin and follow jesus As God tests us as a church, he brings that upon us not for our judgment, condemnation, but to refine us so that we will have glorification. And if we are put under testing and we will bear the marks of suffering, how much worse will it be for those who are outside of Christ? If even his precious lambs will inflict some blows on the way, Oh, how dreadful it will be for you if you are not in Christ. If Christians suffer and you hate God, what suffering will come upon you? Judgment will come upon you and there'll be no savior in your place. Judgment will become upon you and there'll be no one advocating for you before God. All your sins will be brought before you and God if you're outside of Christ and Jesus will not speak up for you. Jesus will not say, I paid for them. I died for him. I died for her. Jesus will not call you, well done, good and faithful servant. And so if you are not yet in Christ, look upon the sufferings of Christians and imagine what eternal suffering will come upon you unless you turn the knee and repent today. And if you are a Christian, and it be God's will that you would suffer for Jesus and you bear the name and you have the privilege and the honour of doing so, whether it's in your neighbourhood, your workplace, your school, in your family context, or whether you need to go abroad or whatever it is. Peter is saying, entrust yourself to God. He is sovereign. He brings all things about by His will. And so when the suffering comes, hand your life over. Entrust your soul to Him. And as you do that, you'll be doing the very same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Look at what Peter said in chapter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. On the cross... On the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit or entrust my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You're following in the steps of your Savior who entrusted himself to God. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The only way you can endure through suffering, Jesus, only way I can and do it joyfully is if we entrust ourselves to God. We stop trying to hedge ourselves in, protect ourselves, create security for ourselves, but instead we entrust ourselves and we say, not my will but yours be done, O Lord. I trust my soul to you, whatever would come. So, Peter leans into us with an uncomfortable message that strikes against our human instinct. He looks you in the eye and he says, Beloved, be prepared to suffer joyfully for Jesus. How do we do that? Well, firstly, we must expect it. Secondly, we must rejoice in it. And thirdly, we must entrust our soul to God to get through it. This is how we do it, friends. And we need one another to spur each other on for the journey. You can't do this on your own. We'll be just like Peter. We'll cave. We've already done it so many times. How many times have you been shut yourself up, slinked back, put yourself back into security to protect yourself from suffering for Jesus? We need God's grace. We need to commit ourselves to him and ask for his power. And let me do that for us today. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray for myself and my hearers. Father, this is anti our worldview. Would you put before our minds the suffering of your son Jesus? Would we see his wounds, his side which was pierced, the blood trickling down his brow from the crown of thorns, the beatings he endured, the spit upon his face, his horrific physical torture, and also put before us, Lord, your wrath that you laid upon him as he writhed on the cross, bearing your full hatred of our sin. Put that before us, Lord. So that we can transition to being people who are prepared to suffer joyfully for him. Would you count us worthy, O Lord, to suffer for his name? Would we count it a privilege and an honor to be so identified with Christ that we would suffer with him and for him? And would our sufferings as a church in this land bring forth fruit? Would people see us suffer and see that this is no game, this is no ritual, this is no mere religion, this is everything. Our lives are on the line. And would the gospel advance through the suffering of Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta? And Lord, through it all, would we be able to sing this song, It Is Well With My Soul? we entrust ourselves to you. I entrust myself to you, Lord, and ask that you would strengthen us to do this for your glory, if you would call us to it. In Jesus' name. Amen.